Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of my guest today is Chris Tuff. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to this conversation. We're going to chat about uh, millennials. And uh, Chris has written a book called The Millennial Whisperer. And it really is about how do we better communicate between generational gaps and, and specifically millennials who are coming into the workforce in numbers. And how do we do that more effectively? It's this particular interest to me because I've got a couple of different businesses where that's primarily what we hire are people in that age range. So that's what we're going to chat about. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Chris Tuff is an entrepreneur. He's the author of the USA Today bestseller, The Millennial Whisperer. And he's also the executive VP of content marketing and partnerships at 22 Squared. 22 Squared is an employee-owned advertising agency based out of Atlanta, Georgia, I believe. Um, and in that's his right. book, is that right? Okay, that's what I figured. Uh, in his book, Chris offers research-based, time-tested strategies for, as I said, bridging, bridging that communication gap between millennials and the rest of the workforce, or uh, specifically old guys like me. Ha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And so with millennials, as I said, the numbers are there. They're on track to make up 75% of the workforce by 2030. So it's crucial for employers like myself and, and those of you listening to harness those strengths that this generation has developed and help them develop into strong leaders for our, for our personal benefits, our, our businesses, for our customers, and for future generation. So Chris in his book, and we're going to chat about, he debunks these myths about millennials that we all hold, including myself, while providing an in-depth look at those generational stereotypes that, that tend to be true, some of them true, some of them not so true. Exactly. Uh, he'll, sh he'll share some practical, real-world tested solutions to help us better understand millennials and effectively recruit, retain, and motivate what he refers to as this passionate generation. As I mentioned, uh, well, the agency is in Atlanta, but so is Chris. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Chris Tuff, once again, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Henry. Excited to chat, especially uh, through the lens of small mm -hmm. business. You know, I get pretty excited about the subject. And, you know, when writing this book, uh, one of the greatest challenges that I set out to, uh, uh, you know, really tackle is for all of my friends locally that have restaurants or dental practices or, um, you know, mom and pop shops that said, okay, Chris, I know, I know that you have solutions for the big corporations, but what about for us? Right. And I'm like, well, I will tackle that. So I'm excited <laughs> to talk about this. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I always, I read about all those big companies and, and how they do things. And I always struggled with how do I apply that to my little micro business? And so that's why I'm excited to have you chat with us about that. So speaking of the book, I'm always interested, you know, why did you write it kind of leading up to why you wrote it and who it's for? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it is for, it, it's a written by leader, by leader, myself, for leaders. And, um, you know, it is very specifically targeted towards boomers and Xers that are struggling with some of these struggles of how do we better, I think, accommodate for the next generation and some of the frustrations that a lot of you probably feel on a daily basis, sometimes hourly with some of my friends. Um, and, uh, you know, what really inspired it, it, it kind of hit me. And uh, I, I have been, I mean, just background, I've been working with millennials most of my life. I'm right on the cusp. Yeah. And so I'm, I was born in 1980. And so I, I feel like deep down, I've had a good understanding as to how they're, how they're motivated and, and what drives them, which has made me kind of a natural leader. And especially being in the digital and social media space, it has been uh, really uh, uh, by both, I think, design and chance that I fell into this space. And, you know, I start the book out with um, a little bit of, of my own um, uh, two and a half years ago when I had kind of hit rock bottom for me, where, you know, on, on the outside, I was doing really well. I was traveling all around and hobnobbing with the who's who and heading up sales for the agency. But I, I reached way deep down in myself and I was like, you know, I've kind of, I, I want to get back to my roots with my family. I don't want to be on the road all the time. And I want to make a difference in this world. And I found that turning from being kind of the tip of the edge or you know, the edge of the sword and going and selling all the time, I decided that I'd be much more of the coach. And with that, I inherited about 30 millennials. And I started putting just, I just started kind of working instinctively. Like a lot of you leaders out there, you, you work off of instinct. Um, it's what makes you successful small business owners. And so I just started um, doing stuff and different tactics. And it was about seven months into leading this group as we, we started to actually get a lot of momentum. And um, people, you know, my agency is 370 individuals and the other owners kind of came up to me. They're like, Chris, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, I'm not too sure, but here's a couple suggestions. And fast forward seven months into kind of overseeing this group, I was at an executive men's retreat in North Georgia. And my friend, Tommy Breedlove, who I think you know, or you guys are connected on uh, LinkedIn. Yes. He, I didn't know Tommy at the time. Um, we had heard Tommy on a podcast. We we're like, oh, well, this is the guy to, to lead this executive men's retreat, which was all about purpose and um, being better leaders, a lot of small business leaders there, and uh, et cetera. And I, I went to introduce myself to the group. And I said, you know, I don't really know what I do anymore, <laughs> but I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And uh, I went and shared my story and then sat back down and Tommy kicks me by the fire and he looks at me with his <laughs> like big blue eyes and this deep voice. He's like, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? <laughs> he goes, the millennial whisperer. And if you don't write it, I am. Because as I'm talking to these different companies, it's what I hear day in, day out. And, uh, and then we started discussing it as a group. But I'd say the average age of the leader in there was about 40, you know, mid 40s. And uh, they were like, okay, so give me some of the stuff. Give me some of the ideas of, you know, what are some of the things you do with these millennials? Because I, you know, I can't stand them for this or blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, here are some of the tactics. And they were blown away. And it was after, I, after that, you know, very impactful executive retreat that I turned to my wife and was like, I think I'm going to write this book. What do you think? She's like, wow. go for it. And that was about 19 months ago. And, you know, fast forward, we've sold about 40,000 copies and 
I've built a business out of the book. And, um, you know, I think we're starting to have a real, a real impact. And what I love about it is that the stories I'm starting to hear back are from all small business owners. Ah. So, you know, it's my friends that either have, you know, uh, small medical practices or a lot of restaurants are starting to apply these things. And so it is, that's what I get so excited about where it's okay, let's redirect the conversation and take a lot of these negatives and instead really, um, turn it around and, 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 um, and lead with positives and, you know, really look, one of my favorite quotes since publishing the book is uh, millennials aren't the problem. They just expose a lot of the problem. <laughs> yeah. I love that quote. Let me ask you, Chris, you think early on when you were working with these millennials and kind of had changed the way you were doing it, it sounds like some of it was um, you weren't quite conscious yet, or consciously competent yet. You were doing it, but you hadn't really crystallized. All right, let's, let's, let me show others how to do this. Do you think in part it was you were starting to treat them the way you would have liked to have been treated in your career? A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I put it down to, you know, one of the concepts I talk about in the book that are imperative is what I call autonomy within structure, which is this innate desire for this generation to not be micromanaged. They need freedom. And um, I think any entrepreneur or small business owner knows what this feels like right? Where it's, mm -hmm. we are doing what we're doing because of that feeling. And so uh, I go down to when people ask me, so what do you mean by autonomy and structure? And I tell them the quick story. It was about five years in um, to me being at my current agency, which I've been at for now 10 years. And I'm a partner, 22 squared. And we were on our way back from the holiday party. My wife turns to me, who knows me very well, was like, I cannot believe that you've been able to stay at the same place <laughs> for five years. Like yeah. you're so ADD, Chris, all of your friends are entrepreneurs and doing this crazy stuff. How do you think they've done it? And I was like, well, I think they've given me a long enough leash that I can be entrepreneurial, but enough structure that I'm always becoming a better leader. Mm. And that is a balance and a dichotomy that I think doesn't exist in a lot of our businesses that is probably the best way of summarizing what it is that this next generation is looking for. So yes, yeah. absolutely. That is how I am um, wired. Yeah. Very interesting. So let, let's define millennials. Uh, my understanding is, you know, it's early eighties. People say specifically 81 through 96 or so. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, it's such a huge generation and, and what I set out to do. 1981, let's put that in the application. That's 37-year-olds right now. 37-year-olds yeah. to 23-year-olds, people born in 96. And so, so much has changed in that time period that in the beginning of the book, I actually dissect them into two different generations. Um older millennials and younger millennials. And, and why I, it's two main points of what makes them different. One is when in their lives they adopted social media and mobile yeah. technology, Absolutely. right? So older millennials had beepers in college. Mm -hmm. Well, younger millennials at age 13 were handed an iPhone with a Snapchat account on it. Yeah. Big difference, right? I mean, the influence that that has had, it really is two different generations almost. Huge. And then the other thing that makes it them very different generations is then when the recession of 2008 either hit them, older millennials were in the marketplace and were actually forced to become either entrepreneurs themselves, fend for themselves, uh, et cetera, uh, which is very different than the younger millennials who were you know, very young at the time and they saw their parents lose their jobs before their eyes 
as well as inheriting this massive amount of student debt um, because of the time of when that hit. And so it actually makes for very different types of people um, in terms of the sociological impact for, you know, how they're wired entering the workforce. Yeah. That last point is one I want to dive into a little bit, Chris, because I, I was just, I, this weekend, I spent some time with a couple of millennials, friends of mine, and I was posing this question to them that I think, and this is one of, I think now, one of the things they're getting right. They saw right through the lie that my generation, so I'm a, at the tail end of the baby boomers. I was born in 63. So I was, I, I kind of think of my generation. So that's generation uh, X, right? Uh, yep. Baby boomers to X. Yep. We bought our parents' belief that a job is forever. There's a pension plan. The company will take care of you. You just, you know, work hard and 30 years later you retire. All of that stuff that was, you know, created that illusion as it turned out. And then to your point, our kids saw the lie in that they saw us get laid off and struggle to find another job. And they saw that, you know, pensions went away and all of that. And they, they, they saw that disconnect, that, that, that lie, as I call it. And that has to have influenced them dramatically, obviously. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, the other thing, it is also look at how fast the world is changing ah, before yeah. our eyes. Right. And, there's no better example. And it's both, it's two-sided when I talk about this because it's the boomers and Xers have a lot of things right, you know? And you know, one of the big ones is like that, that discipline of what it takes to go in day in, day out, even when you have a couple bad days and not hopping ship is there's a lot to be said for that. Right. And I think what I call it's my what we call my 70 30 rule, which is my 70 30 rule is this it's this idea that 70% of your job is should keep you excited and fired up and coming in every day. But 30% of your job is going to suck. 30% of life is tough. And I think this generation specifically, although a lot of us can probably identify with this, but we because of social media, we think that this idea of the perfect everything is out there because everyone is posting perfect lives on Instagram and um, Facebook and, and all these different channels. And the reality is, is that, you know what, part of this, it just takes lots of hard work, you know, and you've got to be able to, we, you know, because of th this product of especially younger millennials being exposed to one helicopter parents or snowplow parenting where a lot of the issues were taken out of their way. That's not their fault, right? They were actually given participation trophies for everything. Yep. Um, and then the other piece being anytime they wanted that instant gratification or, you know, instant everything, it was there at their fingertips, whether it be that validation when they posted their pictures on Instagram and got the 120 likes and fueled themselves up. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for both sides. It's about how do we actually then, as small business owners, take some of these things and make it a part of our culture and a part of our day-to-day -to, -day to, to create an environment where people want to go to work every day. Yeah, yeah, well, well said. So, so start to talk to me about how then do you get a millennial on your team to, to put in that effort um, and to get through the 30% and not give up. Well, what are some tactics that you use there? 
So I think one of, one of, I mean, first of all, you've got to identify, I, I take my 70, 30 rule very literally. So I will actually sit down with people and say, all right, here's your job description and let's you and I together figure out what's in your 70%, what's in your 30%. Because when you're then doing that 30%, you'll be like, ah, I know this is the worst, but it's in my 30%. Like for yeah. me, people ask me, so what's in your 30% Chris? I'm like anything in Excel, <laughs> like anything <laughs> in an Excel document for the most part is in that. But you know, I think one of the big desires that you look at, so, so, so that's more like tactical, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think something that anyone can do and teach and, and bring into their workplace. But if you go on a more macro level, if you look at this generation, what they're really looking for, and statistically, this is, I built all of this stuff on massive amounts of survey data, but um, one of the things that they desire and that they have a huge disdain for is they desire connection and have a disdain for bureaucracy and people putting themselves up on these massive pedestals. Mm -hmm. And um, that desire for connection and comes, comes in lots of forms, but tactically what it looks like is I use the example of my friend, Mike Hibison, who's actually an executive at the Home Depot. And anytime he has a one-on-one -on -one with his people, he gives them the option to talk about their work or to talk about life. 80% of the time they talk about life and it's through that connection where they kind of can lay it on the table and get to know each other on a more personal basis that a real connection is made and then the dedication follows suit after that. And I think, um, you know, another controversial thing that I bring up in the book that people question me on is this idea of following all of your people on, on Instagram and the social networks. And if that seems awkward as a small business owner, you going and following your people, then I would say that you got to work on the real connection thing more. If okay. that seems like an awkward thing. Um, you know, the second piece is, is in that desire for connection, what they want to see out of you as a leader or an owner is that you value where their interests lie. And coming in on a Monday, there's no better example than skipping the small talk. Oh, what did you do this weekend? Two, you can actually use that feed of you saw them at the festival over the weekend. So you can say, Meg, that festival you went to looked amazing. Tell me more about that. Or to someone that you saw may have posted about them donating their time to Habitat for Humanity, you can say, high five to you for actually going out and giving back to the community with that Habitat build, you know? So it skips a lot of that in between that allows you to create connection. So I think connection is one of those main points. Um, the other piece that I, I talk a lot about is this need for recognition and reward. And I say <laughs> that if at the end of the day, as a leader, as a small business owner, when your head hits the pillow, if you're not utterly exhausted by, by rewarding and recognizing your people, you haven't done it enough. And I use two stories, one extreme and one more tactical and easy. Um, but the, the, the story I use in the book is a company out in San Francisco, obviously a little bit bigger than um, probably a lot of these listeners, but, you know, a startup, um, software startup called Domo. And on everyone's first day, they would actually put the person's name and then in their interview or as they're getting settled in, they would ask this person, so what's your at bat song? So I would say, you know, Chris Tuff. If I were to make a speech, I want my at-bat song to be We Are the Champions or whatever it is, right? And um, on the first day of every month, 
they have these loudspeakers that are like up all around the warehouse. And next to the loudspeakers are these big blue sirens, like what you find on the top of a police car. And the salesperson of the month at bat song is blared over those. The blue sirens go off. And then the owner will actually bring a 10-foot blue rooster on wheels next to that salesperson of the month <laughs> desk. And it's funny because people are like, well, um, you know, people will come to me for advice and say, you know, Chris, I'm thinking about restructuring as an ESOP, right? Where we're having, you know, an employee stock ownership program and it's going to cost too much money, blah, blah, blah. Or I'm thinking about giving away options or my company, or I'm thinking about this. And it's like, do you know how much that blue rooster costs? Not that much money, right. you know, and they're not giving any sort of financial reward to it. So it's much more about the recognition and the culture of what that creates within that environment. You don't always have to look to money to solve this reward and recognition issue. Um, the other example I use is what I do in all of my statuses, which is what I call snaps. And I start my statuses, which happen weekly, where we just share kind of what we're all working on and, and you know, um, any of the things that I need to communicate to them on a macro level on what's happening at the company, but I'll actually start us off with snaps and I'll say, um, I give a huge props or congratulations, um, publicly to someone on the team. And I'll say, you know, Meg, for example, uh, killed it in that presentation. She went above and beyond. She really pushed herself out of her comfort zone. And I would just want to give snaps to Meg and then everyone gives snaps. And, that then goes, carries on with peer-to-peer -peer recognition where people are actually covering what they're working on without having to upload some, update some Excel document. And they're doing it in a way where they're building each other up on a peer-to-peer -peer level. Hmm. And so that recognition and reward is a huge, an area that, yes, is exhausting as a, as a leader, but also there are ways tactically that we can push down that responsibility um, and, and you know, I use actually the, a dental practice locally where they have ADS bucks and ADS bucks is Atlanta dental spa bucks. They give each employee a $50 blank certificate that they have to give to someone else on their team. And once again, they're all hourly employees and there's a wall at the, um, where everyone kind of, uh, where the break room is and everyone posts their ADS bucks where they can grant those $50 to anyone on the team and say why they gave it to them. And yeah. um, my friend who owns the uh, dental you know, practice was telling me it's, it works both ways. It's not just about who's being recognized. And when someone walks up and they get $250, awesome, right? But they get that three months in a row the person that walks up to that same wall and doesn't get anything asks themselves, what am I not doing that I need to be doing to get on that wall? Right. So I like to use that example, especially for small business owners. I was listening to an interview you did with those, uh, with that guy, the dental, the dentist rather, I can't remember his name. Yeah, Peter Bolden. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. And, and uh, one of, one of the things he explained is that you can't redeem those for cash. And, and he makes the point, which I agree completely with that people don't remember the cash they remember an experience that they had of course and that's that's a big component of what drives millennials right the experiences versus material things but i think sure. that's a component of that program is that right yep yep and and they also have a huge a great nonprofit um extension to where everyone collectively will vote on on a monthly basis what nonprofit they want to be benefiting 
And then they publicly talk about what are the things that they need to all hit in terms of milestones or financial goals or cleanliness goals or whatever it is for your for your business. I mean, in this case, obviously, it's a dental practice. Uh, and then if they hit those things, they give a big check to a charity of their of their employees choice publicly, where they actually can give back to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, and I talk a lot about the importance of purpose and giving back. But I think that's a good example of how you can walk the talk. Uh, and it's going to become more and more important, especially as you look at this move into the younger millennials and Gen Z, giving back to the world around us and the world as a whole and representing something more than just a bottom line or a profit margin is that much more important. Yeah. And that, and that poses, I think, an even bigger challenge for small business owners. But I'll come back to that because there's so much that you've shared here. I want to go back to a couple of things. Sure. I think the biggest thing is this, this, this connection, this able to connect with them at a personal level. I see that as a particular struggle for people like myself in my generation, because again, we come from a generation where you just, you did your work, you were heads down. Um, the boss didn't give you that much feedback. Maybe you had a review every once in a while, but you just did your job, right? And, and I'm sure we would have loved to have gotten that appreciation or that, uh, that recognition, but that just wasn't what we were exposed to. Um, you talk about connecting on social media. So here's where I get, I struggle with this. I've always operated under the belief that you want to be friendly with your employees, but not friends. Uh, because I think you need to have that separation. And it seems like some of what you're sharing here really says that's not the right way to do it if I'm really going to try to connect with my employees. What, what are your thoughts on that and what am I missing? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I have this conversation um, often with other leaders where they – say the same thing, you know, they've got to be careful not to become friends or, you know, whatever. And obviously I'm a little bit unorthodox, but I threw that out the window. And there's a reason why when I have my team together, I don't, I don't rent out some fancy ballroom or whatever. I bring them to my house, you know, and I think there is a level of trust and, um, um, connection that comes along with that which is extremely important to, uh, I, I think if you look at statistically that, that what they're looking for, you'll, you'll find that with that connection, call it whatever you want, um, friendship, you can call it bond, you can call it whatever. But to me, it is, it's a deeper level of connection. Yeah, and, and I think we, we all want it. It's just we were conditioned differently. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think... My big thing is, yeah, throw, we got to throw that out the window. And uh, a good way to start then is the, the points you gave about if I do connect with them on social media, that helps me with giving me at least a window into what I can chat with them about or what I can comment about that begins that process of connecting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And you have no idea how far it goes when you just do that one, that one comment in person and because you're showing, it was funny. I was talking to a, a small business owner recently, CEO, obviously, uh, and owner. And uh, he said to me, Chris, I read your book. I, have, I love it, but I have a problem with me posting on social media. Like, I just don't want to be posting all my personal stuff to tell all these people. 
And, uh, you know, so what, what's that mean? And I said, they don't care about your stuff. <laughs> you know what the, you know what they care about is that go ahead, set up a private account. You don't have to post, but what they care about is that you're taking a vested interest in them. So come Monday, you can actually go and carry on a conversation that is in line with their interests. You know, there's, I was talking to another friend who's a small business owner who's saying to me, there's nothing worse then when you give some award out and it might be recognizing them, but it's not something they even want. So mm -hmm. he used an example of a, he gave, or someone gave someone a bottle of scotch and that person hated scotch. <laughs> and it's like, here you have a $120 bottle of scotch that is, that does nothing. You know, what is much better and what you can use social to inform is what are these people actually interested in? So as I go out to, recognize them, you might find that their favorite place to go is Baskin Robbins and they love the birthday cakes or whatever. So go use, buy that. Yeah. And so, you know, you're using the, these devices that are available to us that to your point, I think we have these kind of set rules that I think are no longer the case. Yeah. It also reminds me of something that I, that I have observed that we used to do and we still so, see some places do, which I hate is that uh, that employee of the month plaque that you see at some fast food places. And you know, it's, it's nothing but hollow, right? I mean, it's just yeah. lipstick on a pig at best. Totally. Um, and so avoiding that is tricky because that's, that's what I see as kind of a manifestation of, okay, well, we'll try this recognition thing, but it's so such the wrong approach. It's, it's the scotch bottle of scotch approach, right? Oh, totally. I mean, and it's also like people were big. Like, so what other things do you do? I'm like, I don't, sometimes I remember there was one time there was someone on my team and she was crying at her desk because she was just so stressed out about a client issue. And I look at her and I said, do you have anything over the next two hours? And she said, no. I was like, would you like company? She said, yes. And then I yelled to everyone on the, um, around us. I said, all right, everyone, we're going, I'm taking the whole team to go get pedicures and manicures. Let's go. Cause blank, you know, uh, whoever is not in a great place and we just need to get away and let's go have some fun. Right. And, um, people are like, well, Chris, what about, you know, how do you just leave like that? It's like, no, the, the people make up for that time later in, in that night or the next day. Like it's okay. Now all they care about is that you're showing compassion and taking action and not necessarily following all of these unwritten rules all the time. And yeah. I think some of that spontaneity and some of those things that, you know, as a small business owner, just experiment with stuff. Like, to, and I, I mean, I go back to the whole employee of the month plaque, like throw that thing in yeah. the trash, <laughs> you know, and use the budget or whatever and start experimenting and some stuff's going to work and some stuff's not. And That's right. so, yeah, no, I love it. Well, one of the things that we, we've done, we have one of our businesses is a self-serve frozen dessert shop, a self-serve frozen yogurt shop. And I live in Dallas. It's actually in Colorado Springs where my partner, David, lives. And one of the things that we instituted was breakfast with Dave. And so we rotated. So we don't have that many staff. I'm 10 or so employees. And every one of them, uh, we did it once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month, would sit down in the morning before their shift starts and have a conversation with Dave. And a lot of times it was along the lines of what you mentioned as the idea of the, the gentleman you spoke about. Um, where it was a conversation about just what's going on in their life. And it's amazing the positive feedback we got on such a little thing because 
they just felt like they were connecting with the owner, like they were being heard. And it's, it's been nothing but positive and simple little thing like that, that we would have not otherwise done. Because again, that, that's not traditionally how we were raised to manage a business. But that's, I think that's an example of how we're connecting, doing better at connecting personally with each and every person. And this is a restaurant, right? So we're talking about totally. hourly wage employees, young people. Yep. You know, <laughs> we're not expecting And that's the other fallacy as well, Chris, I think that comes back to what you chatted about earlier. We've come, this is where we have evolved a bit. We've come to understand and accept that we're not trying to pretend that you're going to come to work for us forever. You're going to work for us while there's still a good exchange of value here. There's still something for you to learn. But when it's time for you to move on, then great. We'll, we'll even help you if it makes sense to move totally. on. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, I, I think I call it the art of a graceful release. And people ask me, Chris, like, how do you let people go? And I said, well, it's two-sided. One, you know, I've got, I had to get over the fact that when people want to leave, you let them leave. Right. right? If they want to leave, let them leave. Yes. Um, but the other side is that when I have to let go of someone, it's much more of a conversation than anything. And they want to, they end up leaving on their own accord. And what that conversation looks like is, are you happy coming into work every day? Because I can tell you're not motivated. And you, most of the time that then does it, right? Where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just not feeling it. It's like, okay, cool. Well, can I help you network or whatever? Like, let's, let's go back into what drives you as a person and let's figure out um, where it is that you need to be going. Yeah. And, and I think your example, I use another example in the book where it's a friend of mine. He owns, uh, I think now it's 11 restaurants around Atlanta and their name, it's fifth group restaurants. And Robbie Kukler is the, one of the partners. And one thing they do is exactly like your breakfast, right? Where he on twice a year, he'll take their hour, the hourly employees and create an environment where any of those people can have an open forum or a town hall, if you will, mm -hmm. um, with the partners and ask them anything and connect with them. Um, they do the same thing for supervisors and they do th the same thing with managers. And by getting them away and just letting these people be heard, it alleviates a lot of that um, pent up, uh, I think, you know, bureaucratic stuff that I think this generation has a massive disdain for. Yeah, agreed. That's a great example. All right, I want to come back to the, the topic of a, of a side hustle, and I want to make sure I understand what your thoughts are there. I, I, I get it if it's, you know, let's go, go volunteer and, and help Habitat for Humanity. Does it also apply, or how does it apply, you think, for someone who wants to start a business of their own on the side? How do, how do I handle that with millennials? So, a uh, great question, and I think that a lot of times, one of the things that you many of us can align with is the fact that building a business is very hard and it takes a ton of hard work, a ton of tenacity and um, really full commitment in order to do it effectively. And I think as you look at this also complex that we're going up against, which is the grass is always greener complex or, you know, what I say to everyone, you've got to stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides. And, um, while also recognizing that there are things within ourselves, um, passions, purpose, desires that we need to be meeting. And when those aren't being met with our day to day, then we need to be um, figuring out ways that we can scratch that itch. 
And one of those that I've created is I say to everyone that 10% of your time needs to be put towards pursuing a side hustle that's in line with your passions and purpose. And for some people on the team, it's doing more altruistic stuff. So we've got someone that actually donates all of their time to doing marketing for one of the, uh, the camps for people with disabilities. Um, whereas for another person, it's, it was creating a um, startup kind of um, fashion line that um, was launched on social media and Instagram and with all these influencers, et cetera, which was just basically cool clothes. And it was funny about six months into that uh, side hustle, uh, she turns to me and she goes, this is a lot harder than I ever thought. <laughs> and I said, exactly. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of okay with not pursuing this. I'm like, that's fine. That's great. You know? And um, so, you know, one of the things that I set out though is, uh, in, and make sure everyone's in the same um, headspace is that whatever your side hustle is, it just can't be in direct competitive um, sets of what we're currently doing. So it can't okay. be another agency. It can't be a creative service. It can't right. be, you know, it's got to be something outside of that realm. And once, as, as, as long as that's the case, then let's do it. And you look at companies like some of the most successful now, I guess, more sophisticated quote unquote startups like Google and Facebook they both have programs where Google has their 20% program where 20% of all employees' time is put towards things outside of their current day-to-day, which is actually where a lot of the products that we see now go to market graduated from. So Google Maps, um, I think even Google Mail came out of the 20% program, mm-hmm. right. some of the space stuff. Uh, and then Facebook also has this similar program, which is called their fuel program, which actually not many people know about. A lot of my friends are employees there. So their fuel program is just all about how do you fuel your passions and purpose and desires with things outside of what your current day to day job is. And so I kind of took cues from that and started experimenting myself uh, with, with my team. And it seems to be massively impactful. Yeah, no, great, great insights there. Thanks for sharing your ideas on that and, and tips on how to do it. Here, here's another tactical question for you that I struggle with, and this is in a B2C environment, like at a restaurant or or a car wash, which is another business that we're in, and that's limiting or restricting the use of cell phones. It's such since it's such an integral part of that communication that's really necessary for millennials and even for us uh, older people more and more. What are your thoughts on restricting cell phone use in that kind of an environment, right? I, I know in an office environment, it's, there's a lot more flexibility, but what are your thoughts there? I think, so it's funny when you asked me this and when you sent me these questions, I started asking around to some of my friends about whether or not they restrict them because, you know, uh, whether it be the dentist or whether it be, you know, I eat at my local restaurant around um, the corner for me almost every single day. Not once have I ever seen them with a cell phone out. So I texted the guy who runs that restaurant and I said, do you guys have a cell phone policy? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> and I said, well, not once have I ever seen any of your employees. And I'm very attuned to that stuff. Sure. And um, he was like, because they know better. And you know, I started to think about and ask around again, there's this idea of the book in the book that um, I think when you come up with a cell phone policy, 
that is not setting the right tone for the employees. And I think as owners or leaders, we oftentimes think that that policing is up to us to where we have rules and people need to fall into place versus pushing the responsibility down on a peer-to-peer level. And uh, I, I have a concept in the book that was introduced to me by um, Forbes, what, who Forbes calls out as the number one boss for millennials. His name's Ben Kirshner. And Ben has a software, uh, like basically a digital ad agency. And he introduced me to his philosophy of protect this house. And protect this house is basically, it comes from an Under Armour campaign, but it's where he will tell his employees in a passion speech, you know, it's, we've built a culture that is worthwhile of working for and talking about. And it is up to you all to protect this house. And what that looks like is if there's a bad culture fit, it's up to you all to identify that. If someone is acting out of line, it's up to you all to, you know, call that out. Or if you have someone covering for you for your vacation, then guess what's going to happen when you come back from vacation? They're going to ask you to cover for them. And so that's this idea of checks and balance that pushes down that responsibility that I think is an effective thing for things like the cell phone stuff. No one wants to feel like they're being pinned down. Like there's the, especially in these generations, statistically, they suffocate when they feel like they are under um, micromanagement or um, too much supervision or scrutiny. And um, I think this falls in line with that. And tactically, one thing that we can put into place is more of this idea around protect this house. Okay. And I can buy into just about all of that. And, and we try to apply some of that. So, so I'm with you there. I guess the challenge were from a practical perspective, especially if we're talking about the younger millennials, as we were making that delineation earlier, where they've yeah. never been told that it's not acceptable uh, to uh, be distracted on your phone when you should be directing your attention to a customer. And so we see totally. this. So it's, it's almost like I get what you're saying. We need to find a balance somewhere or yeah. put it upon the, the older senior leaders in the team to protect the house, right? To, to, to enforce that idea more so than a strict policy. Is that might be how I might apply it in my business? Absolutely. And I think that the other thing that I'll add to that is that it is an absolute truth and reality that this younger generation, as you look at younger millennials and into Gen Z, so, you know, 23-year-olds, 25 to 25, 26-year-olds, they have grown up with a screen in between them and the other person that they are being forced to either have some sort of real conversation with or, you know, conflict resolution, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why it's up to us as leaders to help them learn these muscles, to grow these muscles. And I have rules in place to help encourage that. One of them being that if someone is in the same building as us and on another floor, you're not allowed to IM them, text them, or email them. Mm -hmm. Instead, you are going to communicate with them face to face. And you've got to walk over their desk and actually have a real conversation. And so it does take, I think, rules and some of this forcing to help this generation, I think, um, overcome some of those obstacles. Yeah, but not put in these draconian rules that suffocate them 
and and then that, that doesn't help. Then what they're doing is they're sneaking it or they end up hating working there and I got to turn over another employee. So what's the point of that? Exactly. Okay, so much more I can talk about, but we'll start to, to kind of wrap it up here. If, I, if you're helping a small business owner like myself, again, baby boomer, start to, to close this gap, improving this communication gap, we talked about some of the things. Uh, what else comes to mind that we have not chatted about sure. that you would say, here's a good place to start? So, um, well, I think one of the best places to start is um, statistically, if you look at what are the four things that millennials are looking for from their leaders, not from their organization, from their leaders, it's pretty easy to break it down. And one is they're looking for inspirational leadership. Two, they're looking for autonomy. Three, they're looking for transparency. And four, they're looking for real purpose. And uh, that's even more true, that fourth purpose uh, with the younger millennials and then into Gen Z. And it actually, I think, is um, not the fourth. It's like number two. And so, you know, dissecting each one of those things, inspirational leadership, I think oftentimes we think that then um, people are either inspirational, they're extroverted, they're big public speakers, et cetera, or they're not. And that's not what I mean by inspirational leadership. What I mean is by, you know, set an example for your group, make sure that you are showing them and telling them where are you going as an organization and give them context constantly. And I think through that and through building them up and having rewards and recognition, you can overcome some of those things that a lot of people think they may or may not have as an inspirational leader. I think then as you get into autonomy, so not micromanaging them, mm -hmm. introducing concepts like protect this house, um, but also I think allowing them to truly thrive on their own terms, um, work flexibility being one of those things is absolutely critical. And work flexibility is one of the um, big, uh, I think, contentious things in more of the um, you know, white collared space yeah. and larger uh, organizations. Don't you think, Chris, that part of it is us old people are mad that we didn't have that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to uh, help people overcome is, yeah. well, I had to do it this time. I had to do this and now you're going to have to do this. Exactly right. Um, and then the last, you know, the, 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 the third one being transparency, I think is a really important one where it's, People think that a lot of leaders will turn to me and say, well, transparency, um, they think it's one of two things. Either they need to be vulnerable and cry in front of other people, or on the other side of it, they need to be transparent in all of their financials. And right. It's like, no, it's not either one of those things. What they need from transparency is when you make a mistake, actually admit it. Don't try to cover it up. Because yeah. they'll actually have a lot more respect for you when you make those mistakes. But then also talk about on a context level, why is it that you're making the decisions that you're making and help connect yeah. the dots for them? So, so it could be, you know, listen, we tried this product, this new product, it was a failure. We should have seen these things, but we did it in the context of trying to serve our customers. And so we're going to try something different now. Exactly. Versus saying, hey, guess what? We're doing everything different. And they're like, wait, we yeah. just changed all right. of our training and our systems to do it. Right. And so the more you can help connect those dots. So th that's kind of my last like, obviously uh, machine gun 
um, approach. But the good news is, is that I wrote a book that's essentially a textbook on how to apply it. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the one I want to touch on very briefly, though, is the fourth is purpose. And that's where I struggle the most because, you know, I'm not a Tom's shoes or all of those examples, which again, frustrate me as an owner of a, you know, ubiquitous type business. I have a restaurant or I have a car wash. And so connecting with millennials on that point, I struggle with a lot. So, I mean, tactically, I, I think uh, one of the examples that I use in the book is my friend with the dental practice where they say, all right, everyone, at the beginning of every month, every, you bring nonprofits to your choice. One of them will benefit if you hit all your goals and we're going to give them a massive giant check that's obnoxious, even if it's like 400 bucks, but we're going to do it. This huge, we're going to give that nonprofit of your choice um, at the end of the month, a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. That is an easy versus just taking that money and putting it towards whatever it is that you're putting those funds towards. And I think that's just one example of, as you look at purpose, you know, obviously, what they're looking for is something that's more than just your bottom line and to make more money. Yeah. So how are you actually having an impact on the area around us and around small business, you know, locally and having, you know, really carrying that forward. And so I use the example of our purpose within our organization, 22 squared is together we give rise to change, which is how do we actually give rise to change in the world to make it a better place. And so we give all employees, for example, five days paid time off to donate their time to a nonprofit or nonprofits of their choices. Fantastic. And um, that's walking the talk and putting actual systems in place that follows that. Um, another example, um, once again, is I think allowing people to pursue their own personal purposes. And I took it to the next level. In one of my experiments, I said, all right, everyone, I'm all to all 30 employees on my team. I'm going to work with each one of you to help identify what your individual purpose statement is over the next six weeks. And I'm going to host a dinner where you're going to tell everyone else on the team what your purpose is. And uh, what ended up unfolding six weeks later, and it was a journey getting to it with a lot of them. Um, but it was one of the most impactful nights where people really put a stake in the ground and were able to, I think, identify uh, what it was that drove them as a human versus mm -hmm. and made them an individual. Now, does that mean that their day-to-day -day jobs is now going to become that? Absolutely not. Right. You know, but one thing I did do is I took their purpose and I matched it back. I mapped back to their current job um, and job description and I said, all right, let's figure out two things that we can introduce to your weekly kind of day-to-day -day that will allow you to scratch that edge. Right, um, right. Or begin to develop the skills or get you on the path exactly. or whatever it might be, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, there's lots of ways that I think we can bring purpose to life. And, you know, I know one of the questions that you ask everyone is like, what's the one book that you would yes. suggest? Uh, this is, you know, This Is Your Why by Simon Sinek, I think is a great um, starting point for both leaders as well as I think people on our team um, to identify that and uh, articulate purpose. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that recommendation. And uh, so again, your book again is The Millennial Whisperer. And I know you've got uh, some special downloads for our listeners as well. You want to share that 
Yeah, sure. So uh, if you go, uh, people ask where you, they can get the book. You can get it almost anywhere. It's in every single airport right now, which is great, as well as uh, your local retailers. It's on Amazon. And you can also go to themillennialwhisper.com. Uh, and that's two L's, two N's, millennial. I learned that by writing a book about millennials. <laughs> yeah, I can't spell it either. <laughs> difficult. It is, it is. And uh, if you go to themillennialwhisper.com and then forward slash the how of business, we've actually set up a uh, landing page where you can download the first chapter of the book, as well as take uh, um, a free millennial leadership assessment to see as a small business owner, how you rank on some of these key tenants and how those match up to what they're looking for. So check it out. Um, and um, I think everyone will find that the good news is, is that everyone that reads it has been like, wow, Chris, this has changed the way that I think about this generation. And I've already applied some of the concepts in your book. And uh, so that, that, that's why I wrote it is to try to have that impact. You no, know, no, it's, it's great stuff. I didn't know about the assessments. I'm yeah, going to go and out. do that to that. That love those kinds of things. And then a, a great way to figure out if you're going to like a book is, is to read the first yeah. chapter. So that's a, that's a great offer that everybody should take advantage of. You know where to find it, but it'll also be on a link on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. So take advantage of that opportunity. Chris, we'll wrap it up with the last two questions. The first one is, what, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had, especially from the perspective, again, that we've tried to look at it from a small business owner's perspective on bridging this communication gap between us old guys and, uh, and gals. And well, you guys as small business owners, I think have the advantage of you are the one that are making the decisions. So yeah, yeah we don't have that bureaucracy. No, exactly. Right? So, so start experimenting, start using, right. start changing up and see what type of impact it can make in your business and your people. Um, and some stuff's going to work and some stuff's not, but it's up to you, I think, to start changing it up a little bit to really feel that out. And, uh, obviously I think you now have a framework from this conversation to at least start somewhere. And one of my favorite things in the book is, um, that it seems to get like the biggest piece of like clout in the media space is, uh, you got to turn your lets into buy when. And what I mean by that is I think we live in this world where there's not as much count accountability as um, other times. And a lot of you can attest to that. So when you're saying, yeah, let's do this, let's do that. Let's do a rewards program. Let's do a new and answer it with a buy when. And mm. um, you'll find that it brings instant accountability. And, you know, it, even in a personal basis, when you're out, meeting with people and you say, yeah, let's grab coffee or let's grab a drink or let's grab immediately respond with buy when, and you'll find out whether one, they either didn't even want to do that. They're just doing it to be cordial. They didn't want to hang out with you uh, or two, <laughs> you'll be grabbing coffee or a drink or dinner with that person a week later and it actually happened. So that's another, I think, way to bring accountability to this stuff. Yeah. Great, great tactic. Appreciate that. Very good. And tell us again where you want us to go online to find out more. Yeah. So uh, to find out more, go to themillennialwhisper.com forward slash the how of business. Perfect. Chris, this has been a great conversation. The book is great. Again, it's the Millennial Whisperer. Thanks for taking the time, indulging all of my questions. Uh, it was a fantastic uh, eye-opening and, and engrossing conversation. Awesome. I really appreciate it, Henry. 
This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of my guest again today was Chris Tuff. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and at our website. Or you can also just text the word FOAM, F-O-A-M, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.